Welcome back. Welcome back to Unnecessary Roughness. Unnecessary Roughness. Raider Nation Radio 920. I'm going to have to kick you, you know what, today. Here's your boy Q. Kicking off hour number two of the show here on Raider Nation Radio 920. Unnecessary Roughness. Handful of days away from the start of the NFL draft. Cannot wait. April 28th right here in Las Vegas to help us talk all things NFL is our guy, John McClain, formerly of the Houston Chronicle, now retired but still staying busy. And, John, we definitely appreciate you as always, my man. And we're about a, about a week out, less than a week out, really, I mean, of the NFL draft. It's next Thursday, so I guess it's a little over a week. But uh, it's exciting times here. Uh, how how, how uh, pumped up are, are you hearing folks that around the league that talk about the draft on the regular? And how excited are you for the draft next week? Oh, gosh, Q, you know, when I started (laughs) with the draft at the Houston Chronicle after I left the Waco Tribune Arrow, that would have been my first draft, I think, was 77. It was 16 rounds, and it was longer. It used to be 24 rounds, and then they reduced it to 12. Then they went to eight, and then finally to seven. At one point, they did 12 rounds in one day, and it was a long day, and I remember... The Houston Oilers took over the premier hotel in Houston, the Shamrock, and they had this monstrous ballroom for fans to come, and there's no ESPN, and they had a separate room for a media room. So they would have this monster board on the wall with every team up there, and they would get a call, and uh, and uh, they would put the name up there, and they would announce who took what, or if there were trades. And we were in the, in the media room. I remember I was so bored when it got <laughs> past, you know, the 10th round. I found a way, a TV. I had a TV brought in from the hotel where, uh, I could watch movies during the day on the hotel movies, which had just started in, uh, and it was to help combat the boredom. I'll never forget, the first year ESPN was on, and um, they had uh, Paul Zimmerman, Dr. Z from Sports Illustrated, Howard Balzer, NFL editor of the Sporting News, and Joel Bushbaum, the NFL editor of the uh, Pro Football Weekly, who was the best draft Nick I've ever seen and known. And, uh, and so Bushbaum who lived in Brooklyn and had this nasally accent nobody could understand. And he was the ultimate nerd with tape on his big, thick black glasses, slide rule, pins in his pocket of his plaid shirt. And Joel, who knew more football than most people in the NFL, did not come across well on TV. So they dumped him and they took this young guy who was working in his parents' basement in Baltimore and it put out his own self-made draft book and sent it to media all over the country. And that was the first time I ever heard of Mel Kuyper. And so to watch it evolve through the decades into the spectacle it is now has been fantastic. And I would imagine that they're going to put on the greatest show ever right there in Las Vegas. And what I can't figure out, and I've probably been to Las Vegas 25 times, are they going to shut down Las Vegas Boulevard? 
Pretty much. I mean, it's it's pretty much uh, looked like it's going to be closed down. I mean, they have one of the stages right there in the Bellagio Fountain. So, I mean, that's, that's already putting that thing together. So there's already a lot of stuff that's being closed down. It's going to be very busy as far as traffic goes, that's for sure. I'd like to see, they talked about originally bringing out players to the fountain on boats to get on the stage. And I'm thinking, okay, six foot seven, 350-pound Evan Neal, I want to see how he's going to do on a little boat. Right. And I can't imagine they're going to do that. But you know it's going to be a spectacle. And I can't imagine what they're going to do with traffic uh, when it's diverted from Las Vegas Boulevard. I would just mm-hmm. I would just tell people, do not bring a car to Las Vegas. Be prepared to do a lot of walking because you got to figure Uber and cabs and everything else in public transportation. It's going to be just as big a problem but it's going to be so much fun to have the first draft in las vegas and then the super bowl next it's a great time to be there can you believe that the nfl is actually here i mean i still pinch myself because i'm here it's almost been a year since i moved here but the nfl is actually here when now Vegas, no 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 forever and now the draft the super bowl and everything else is coming to vegas you can't even. You couldn't in the old days even talk about gambling or going to Vegas. Remember when Tony Romo, yep. three years ago, wanted to have some kind of event there, mm-hmm. and the league league said absolutely not. I guess that was his last year with the Cowboys. Now, of course, they embrace it, and they're going to make billions off of it. The NFL, they are they're geniuses. You know, they got Apple involved. They got Amazon involved. And the price of the franchises just keeps skyrocketing. And everybody is envious of what the Raiders have. A great stadium in a great city with so much fanaticism. And at a great, I guess it's a great practice facility, is yes. it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The practice facility is fantastic. It's one of, the, one of the best ones I've seen. And I haven't been to every one of them. But, man, it's state-of-the-art. It looks great. And a guy that I bet you is having so much fun is their PR guy, Will Kiss. He does a <laughs> tremendous job. And you think about what it was like for Will in Oakland when every question was about, are you going to go? Are you going to stay? Are they going to give you public money? And then in the process of the move, it's very unpopular. But once you get there and everything is ready, you think, man, it was worth all that because this is fantastic. And now Will can just promote the football team and that's what it's all about anyway right exactly and he does a heck of a job shout out to will kiss but he does do a heck of a job we do appreciate him all the time we're talking with john mcclain right now on unnecessary roughness raider nation radio 920 you mentioned apple and the fact that they look like they're about to buy sunday ticket and it's for the billions i mean it's in the billions i mean how how massive is that going to be if apple does in fact go ahead and get the sunday ticket first of all apple and amazon can afford anything and they're taking a big chance uh, if, to do its streaming. They know that the ratings are going to go down, but they don't care because the money's going to go up. And those companies, you know, they want to use the NFL because you can't use anything better than the NFL to promote what you're doing. And you think about the subscriptions and all the people that are going to want to watch those games. I am, uh, I am on both of those. And I'm amazing how much original programming they have, and uh, how interesting it is, and how much, how many, how much money, hundreds of millions, 
they spend on movies. And now they go get the ultimate product to promote your product, the NFL. It's just a very exciting time. Yeah, John, earlier you were just talking about Will Kiss and PR, but you on I listened to you on Jeff Perlman's podcast, Two Riders Slinging Yang, <laughs> and you talked about like the relationship with players, how it isn't the same, how the media doesn't have as much access. With locker rooms being open again this coming season, do you think that maybe there'll be some normalcy or it will just never be like the old days the way it was with that player-media relationship? Damani, it'll never be like it used to be, and here's why. And I don't want to be like, a dinosaur bemoaning the fact that the, the good old days are not here. But I do feel bad for younger people covering the NFL today because the way it was when I started in the late 70s and the 80s and really in the 90s, mid, up through the mid-90s, you could, as a media the member, I could go to the Oilers facility just about any time. I could walk in the dressing room and I could sit on the bench in front of a player's office in front of a player's locker and I could read the Houston Chronicle where I worked or the Houston Post our competition and players would come in and they'd get ready for things or getting treatment and um, if they and one of the things that, that I didn't like but there was nothing to do about it they had the sports section as both papers everywhere so if you've written something negative about a player he was going to see it and if he wanted to to jump on you about it, he did. And you tried to be cordial and professional and hope you got it worked out. Today, I don't know if they look at anything other than Twitter and Instagram. And so, but you could talk to players before practice, after practice. There were no time restraints. If the player wanted to go to, to a meeting, he said, hey, man, I got to go to a meeting or I'm going home or get the hell away from me. I don't want you talking to me. And so, but you got to talk to them about their families about their backgrounds and, and you could build relationships. I am, I've never been friends with players when they played, but now that the Houston Oilers, I've been on programs with multiple Houston Oilers that I'm friends with. And I'm worried because I didn't have a chance to build those relationships because of limitations put on the media today. That really bothers me. You can't talk to coaches. When Bum Phillips was the head coach and general manager of the Oilers, I could go in his office and watch film with him. And, and he knew I wasn't going to write it, but he was trying to help me do my job. So I miss that. They don't like it when you make mistakes today, but they don't do anything to help you do your job. Mm. So what's the maddest that a player's ever been to you back in those old days when you were just in the locker room? <laughs> you said somebody might jump on you. What's the maddest someone's ever been at something you wrote? Uh, they had a defensive end who moved to outside linebacker, Lamar Lathan, who was their number one overall pick in 1990. And I wrote something he didn't like. And I walked in. This was at training camp. And I walked into the cafeteria. That's another thing. Back then, the media would, you know, go in. Everybody shared the same big cafeteria at training camp. You know, you didn't sit with them, but you're in the same room. And Lamar started yelling at me. And I walked over the table, and he said, the problem is you don't understand because you're not black. And everybody's listening. And I said, I sure am. And then they're like, what? And I said, I'm black. And I pulled my arm out and I held it up to him. And I said, man, you're right. I'm not black. That must have been it. You must be right. Well, by then, everybody was laughing. And he and I <laughs> talked about it. And uh, the worst there ever was was with Jerry Glanville, the head coach, who threw a punch at me one time. He did. He stopped right before he hit me. 
because he was mad at something I wrote. But uh, that used to, that used to happen quite a bit. Pe- people get real mad. Today they don't get real mad. And I don't know if it's because they don't read you. I know I don't look at social media mentions and all that. And I'd have people say, "Oh man, this guy's saying this about you on social media," and I'm like, "I'm I'm shuddering." <laughs> I told you, right. Mark, t- t- he don't he don't he don't he don't look at the replies. Whenever he tweets out something, he never looks at the replies. Doesn't even care. That's a good thing. I love it. I love it. Talking with John McClain uh, here on Unnecessary Roughness Radio Nation Radio 920. John, let me ask you about Baker Mayfield. He's still currently a Cleveland Brown. Didn't show up for the offseason workouts. Of course, they're voluntary. Uh, the Texans are already back in action. The Raiders are back in action. Baker Mayfield is not in action. At what point do they just got to move on from this guy? Well, first of all, he shouldn't have been there because he knows it'd be an even bigger circus with uh, him there along with Deshaun Watson would create an even bigger controversy so he's wise to stay away. Plus, he didn't want to take a chance on getting hurt. You know, he wants to go somewhere else. I, there's talk that I think Ian Rappaport had that Carolina's the top team. And I've said all along he should go to Seattle because they're a good team with a really good set of skill position players. And he's in the last year of his contract. He should tell Seattle, I don't need a new contract. Give me one season to prove myself. I had surgery on my left shoulder. It's going to be good. I'm ready. I'm hungry. I would want a quarterback like that. Two years ago, he threw for almost 3,900 yards and led them to a playoff victory over Pittsburgh, 11-5 and record. That's the first time they'd gotten beyond the first round of the playoffs since Bill Belichick went one year when they were still in Cleveland. So I think he could play. You'd get him with a huge chip on his shoulder. Also, you would get him in a contract year. And that is great motivation. Right, no doubt about that. And sticking with the Browns, they've dished out a lot of guaranteed money this year or this offseason, $230 million guaranteed to Deshaun. Denzel Ward just got $71-point-something million in guarantees as the cornerback there. Uh, what do you think about the Browns kind of resetting the market in multiple positions? Every owner in the league hates them. They don't like that. Every player in the league loves them. The NFLPA, they love them. And, uh, and if the Browns didn't have it, they wouldn't do it. Of course the owners have it. Now, the key is, how's it going to affect the salary cap, uh, when, say, when Watson's big base salary kicks in? This year he's making a million and I think like 1.07. So the Piper will have to be paid at some point. But right now, you know, they're doing a terrific job of getting taking care of these players. I like it when they give big contracts to guys who've been with the team because they've earned it. And it sends a message. You come in here and you work the way we want. You be the teammate that we want you to be and you play hard and you do everything. We will reward you as opposed to going out and spending a lot of money on players from other teams who haven't proved themselves in your system and may not have proved themselves in another system because that can create problems behind the scenes. Now, I'm not talking about Deshaun Watson. You know, that's a huge controversy because of off the field. But everybody saw what kind of season he had in 2020 when he was fantastic. So there's not bad blood for a player like that. But if you're Jacksonville and you give Christian Kirk the kind of contract that Jaguars gave him, and he was never even the number one receiver with the Cardinals. So that's the kind of contract that can cause issues. 
Right, no doubt about it. And that's what the Raiders did. They they hooked up their guys, their homegrown guys. They took care of Max Crosby. They just recently extended Derek Carr. I feel like this new regime is is figuring it out. They're doing it the right way. They did bring in Chandler Jones and Devontae Adams, but that just made the uh, the team that much better. And, John, we just got a couple more questions for you. What is the overall thoughts of, of the new regime in, in Las Vegas, Dave Ziegler, Champ Kelly, and everyone? Just what are you hearing from your NFL circles? A lot of respect. A lot of respect for McDaniels and Ziegler, who were together in McDaniels' brief career with Denver. And now they're a twosome. And Mark Davis, you know Mark Davis is very happy right now. And how they should be very happy. They get to come in and take over a playoff team. Not very often does a head coach and a general manager have a chance to come in and take over a playoff team. Now, that puts up more pressure on them than it is a team that was awful. It's rebuilding, and they play in the toughest division. What looks like it's going to be the toughest division at this time of year in NFL history from top to bottom. And can't wait to see it from the outside. It's going to be a war for those teams. And, I, and I've said this before, and I'll say it now. I bet that the team – with home field advantage in AFC is not coming from the West because they're going to beat up on each other so much. And it'll be a team like Tennessee that beats up on Houston and Jacksonville and that ends up with home field advantage or maybe a team from another division. Now, Tennessee was the right pick there, John. <laughs> John, John um, you do a lot of radio hits all across the country, but I heard you tell a story of your first time ever on live radio. Can you share that story with our audience? Okay, I'll do it fast. 1976, I was covering the Houston Arrows of the World Hockey Association. Gordy Howe, Mr. Hockey, come out of retirement in Detroit, and he won two championships here playing with his sons, Mark and Marty. Unprecedented. It's story transcended sports. I've never covered a hockey game. And uh, after I'd been there a week, taken off across two countries, I'd only been on a plane one time flying in Texas. So I get to La Colisee, the Coliseum in Quebec, uh, which is about two hours north of Montreal. And uh, the play-by-play guy, Jerry Trupiano, says, you want to come on radio between periods? And I said, I've never been on radio. He said, it'll be easy. I'll ask you some questions. And I said, well, just don't ask me anything about hockey. And he said, why? I said, I don't know anything about it. He said, well, how'd you get that job? I said, it's a long story. He said, okay, I'll just ask you some simple questions. I said, great. So I'm looking around. It's loud in there. And I can hear he's doing some commercials. He's got his mic on a stand. He's wearing headphones. I see him push the mic over to me. And I'm looking around. I'm waiting on my headphones. And as soon as I got in there, the thing that stood out the most were the usherettes. Because at every exit was a, a woman wearing a really tight red sweater, really tight red skirt, and a red Jackie Kennedy pillbox hat. And they stood at attention with their arms behind their back. And uh, so I'm looking around, and I hear Jerry say, so what do you think about your first trip to La Colisee? And I said, man, Jerry, I can't believe the women all have such big parentheses breasts, but that's not what I said. <laughs> and I hear him say, you really loud, you can take the boy out of Waco, but you can't take Waco out of the boy. We're going to go to a break, try to get to the bottom of this. We'll be back if the FCC allows it. And as soon as he tore his headphones off and he yelled, you can't talk like that on the radio. And I said, I know, I didn't know we were on the radio. 
well, what do you think that microphone is for? I said, I thought that I was waiting on the headphones. He said, I wear headphones to communicate with the producer back in the studio. Now, do you think if I put you back on, you cannot say words like that? And I said, well, of course. So it was a short interview. He was not funny at all. And I thought I would never be on radio again. But thank goodness, Jerry Trupiano, who went on to be the voice of the Oilers and the Astros and the Red Sox, he gave me a second chance and he hired me to do weekly shows while I worked at the Chronicle in 1985. So I am very beholden to him. Well, that is a Hall of Fame story right there, John, as well-deserved. I love it. That is fantastic. Great stuff, my man. Great stuff. Uh, hopefully you're enjoying your retirement still. Uh, you putting anything out that we need to be on the lookout for? You doing some more podcasts? No, my Twitter, McLean underscore on underscore NFL, I'm tweeting more than I ever have and retweeting. If you yep. paid me for every time I retweeted locked, locked on Raiders, you wouldn't have any income. You're right. I know, and I appreciate every bit of it. I do. Believe me. you are. I told you I got a place for you right here when you get to Vegas. You and the wife got a place to stay for free. <laughs> hey, guys. Thank you very much, Damon. Thank you, Q. Thanks, as always. I look forward to talking to you next week. Absolutely. Thank you so much, John. That's the great John McClain right there, formerly of the Houston Chronicle, and he is a tweeting and retweeting machine right now, and I'm not mad at that. Devon asked, I didn't know you were going to ask him that question. That was hilarious. I had no idea you were going to ask him that question because you've heard the story, the unedited version of the story, and now you heard the radio-friendly version of it. That is great. What an epic story. You can take the boy out of Waco, but you can't take Waco out the boy. That's hilarious. Unbelievable. I love it. Good stuff. Good stuff. 323 is the time. We'll come back. We'll take a couple calls and texts at 702-365-9200 and the Salmon Ash text line 69187 keyword R&R. If you could ask Dave Ziegler, the GM of the Raiders, anything tomorrow at noon at his presser, what would it be? Let us know about it. This is Raider Nation Radio 920. Yo, what's up? What's up, Raider Nation? It's your homie Too Short, and you're listening to Raider Nation Radio 920, baby. Big shout-out to our guy, John McClain. Went a little overtime in the last segment telling the stories, especially the story of his very first radio interview. Matter of fact, got a text on the Salmon Ash text line at 69187. Man, it'd be awesome if someone could find that tape of John McClain's first radio interview. That would be pretty funny. That would be pretty funny. My man's been doing radio for a very long time, obviously writing for a very long time as well. Uh, he's been doing it real big. And, Damon, what did you think of – when he was saying what he was able to do when he started covering the Oilers back in the day where he basically just walked to the facility and walked in the facility pretty much whenever he wanted to, just knowing what we have to go through now, not that it's bad, but it's just what we have to do now, knowing how open it was then, how crazy is that? It sounds unheard of in the way that he said, hey, he could just watch film with the coach go right. in his office. Where you no, no offense, but like we're happy tomorrow that Zeke was even speaking to the media in a presser setting to where he'll take some he'll take some questions. Right. To think that back in the day it's just like, nah, no, I could go and I can go in coach's office, maybe watch some film with him. Like that to me, yeah, like I said, it sounds unheard of. Like they used to do it like that. <laughs> right. I exactly. couldn't imagine like even last year or this year with Josh McDaniels, him like coming from the Patriots, and I know he's not gonna take every trade from Belichick, but he's gonna carry a few. Just to be like, Hey coach, uh, if I could just watch you break down some of that practice film, that'd be great. Could you imagine Bill Belichick being in a situation where someone tried to walk into the talking to his office and actually watch some film with him? Could you imagine that? Oh no, it's funny you mentioned Belichick because he is the person that basically started off the um 
cutting the media's access off a little bit. It was when he made the playoffs with the Browns. I listened to John tell this story as well, that Belichick was one of the first coaches. Was like, yeah, the media can't watch us practice for the playoffs. That makes sense. I, I, I don't. Somebody's got to start something, and right. it was basically Belichick. Right. No, and look, I'll, I'll say this. I mean, there was a lot of things that – uh, even last year uh, at training camp, you know, there's certain limits that we have as far as being out there at the facility. Uh, we could watch the stretching portions of, of practice, but you couldn't really watch the drills. And I, I remember it's so funny because we'd film something, whoever it was, if it was me, if it was Heidi, if it was Cassie, Vinny, whoever, Hondo, whoever it was, you know, Tashawn put something out, Vic. And uh, it was so funny because someone would say, how come you guys don't show them doing, you know, seven on seven? Or how come you don't see any show any plays? We're like, we can't. We won't. They won't allow. I mean, it's, it's not allowed. It's not allowed. It's so funny. I, I was the first time I was at a Cowboys practice. It was mini mini camp. It wasn't even training camp. It was mini camp when they were there in Frisco, and I wasn't familiar with the rules that they had because I didn't go all the time. I only went, you know, every once in a while when I got an opportunity. So I went one time, and I remember I was filming something, uh, and I did a video and I tweeted it out, and you know, they they know all our Twitter handles, so uh, they saw the tweet and they're like, they walked up to me, was like, Q, you can't put that out there, and I was like. Oh, yeah. No, my bad. I didn't mean to press in. And like, no, you can't even film it. Like, you know, so it was like it was a big to do. But hand over your phone. Yeah. Basically, it was just like, don't do it again. Like they didn't really flip out, but they're just like, you can't do that. I was like, all right, no problem. But that's just that's just how it is. You know, you just you just can't do it. And of course, the times are changing. So locker rooms and, and facilities aren't just open where you could just stroll on in and you're good to go. I mean, times are a lot different than they were back then. But, uh, man, it would have been fun to be able to just go in there and sit down in the facility and check out practice and sit there and break down some film and oh man that would have been that would have been crazy so when he says that he feels sorry for the young guys like it's not a bad thing cuz the job is still fantastic but man if i could have one day of where i could just walk in and then basically have free reigns at the facility That'd be awesome. I would love every minute of it. The players would look at me like I was crazy, but it'd be fun. <laughs> yeah, you just come in. You're already by somebody's locker. Right. He's like, oh, just wanted to ask you about a couple of things. You imagine if I'm sitting there in front of Derek Carr's locker, and all of a sudden he comes walking in. I'm like, what's up, DC? What's up, dog? Want yeah, to talk exactly. to you? Want to talk to you about yesterday's game, man? Just want to, you know, what was that? What was that third and eight pass, man? You threw it seven yards, man. How come you didn't throw a pass to sticks, man? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> and he's happy that? to talk to you about it. Like, I'm yeah, glad you well, asked. Yeah, well, Q, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> I know I wouldn't normally give this to anybody, but since you're asking, <laughs> you're my guy, so it's cool. That'd be pretty fun. Uh, got a question on the Sabbath ass text line, talking about. <laughs> I like this. Talking about what you would ask Dave Ziegler if you got an opportunity to ask him tomorrow at his uh, as his presser. This comes from the Five and Dime. My question would be: Is there any advice you can give Demond on putting together a good pickup basketball team? Well, Ziegler's in the process of roster building. So even Ziegler would probably look at the at the roster you put together for your basketball team and be like, what the hell was he thinking? What is wrong with DeMond? Well, first off, we need to ask him, has he played any basketball before? I know he played at John Carroll University, and the Raiders did put out a couple of clips. He looked like he was shifty, you know, returning a couple of punts. But we don't know about his hoop level. He might say, hey, guys, I don't know the first thing about basketball. He, I'm sure he probably knows how to put together a better roster than you did. He'd probably just say, hey, give me tall, man. You know, so he Tyler would probably be his first pick too. I doubt it. I doubt it. Because he I've, would say he's tall. You know what? You know, we what? we might be on the same page. I doubt it. I probably I, took I, a page I, out of Ziggler's book on team I building. don't think that you and Ziggler are on any pages that are anywhere near each other. Your your bookshelf is on one level, and his bookshelf is on a total different level. Just saying. Just throwing that out there. Got another text. We were talking about the uh, the Raiders roster back in 2014. 
when they went through the draft process from the 805 Raider. He said, don't forget, Danico Autry signed as an undrafted free agent in 2014, too. Yeah, they had that, that 2014 class was, was really good. I mean, really good. Again, you don't, you don't really hit on very many picks in a draft. I mean, if you have seven picks and you get, and say you get three really good players out of it, like you've done a great job. You know, that's why on yesterday's show I was talking about if they have five and they stick right there at five, if you get two, I think you've done great. I think you've done a really great job. If you can get two impact players, not just guys that are serviceable. And I, I, I talked about and referenced T.J. Carey. I thought T.J. Carey was serviceable. I never thought T.J. Carey was that good. I know he's hung around the league. He's hung around the league, but he's more of extra in my opinion. He's like, I mean, he was, he was a good player when the Raiders didn't have very much talent. There's a difference. You know what I mean? He, he's not he's – not, I mean, he couldn't touch Nate Hobbs. I mean, he couldn't. Nate, Nate Hobbs and, and TJ Carey on two different levels. I know they were also drafted in two different rounds, but Nate Hobbs is a guy that I say, okay, now that's an impact player. TJ Carey, to me, was never an impact player like that. He was a decent player when the Raiders needed as many decent players as possible to make it almost look like they had good players, if that makes sense, because they had a lot of talent struggles. Something that you just made me think of, I know this isn't exactly a Ziggler question, but, hey, he's done some scouting. Do you see Nate Hobbs? Do you think maybe he could be an outside receiver for the team instead of inside in the slot? I know that would be more of a Graham question, but what does Ziegler think? You know, I think that he was asked that at the owners' meetings. If he wasn't, then maybe Josh McDaniels was asked that. But uh, I think that they said that they were going to give him an opportunity to compete at both spots, both outside and uh, inside. I-, I can't remember exactly who said that, but somebody so – it was one of the two. Either McDaniels or Ziegler said that they were going to give him the opportunity to compete on the outside and the inside. Uh, to me personally, and this is just my gut feeling, and it's what I've been saying for a while, I think that Hobbs would be a hell of a player on the outside. I really do. Uh, he's just got that edge to him where I think that he'd, be, he'd, be, he'd really thrive out there. But you've also seen him play really well in the slot. And what I love about Nate Hobbs is his, his tenacity and the way that he'll go and, and he's not afraid to make a hit and make a tackle. That's big time to me. If, if a guy's willing to put his neck in there and go in there and, and make a big-time tackle – that's 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 big, and that's the thing about Nate Hobbs. Someone might catch the ball, but he's going to get you to the ground quick, fast, in a hurry. And on top of that, he's going to try to come up with a big play as well, make a big play. So uh, I like what Nate Hobbs brings to the table. I, I just can't wait to see him compete in this Patrick Graham defense and see exactly what he can do. 702-365-9200, that's the Raider Nation listener line. Who we got up next? Juan the Smasher. Juan the Smasher right here in the 702. What's on your mind, my man? Welcome to the show. Hey, what's up, playboys? What's going on? Chillin', man. Chillin'. How you doing? Man, that's right. I just got off of work, homie. I just got off of work. I work in the mornings, and uh, I'm over here trying to practice on this Madden. Hey, <laughs> hey, Q. I'm, I'm going to win this Madden championship. You feel me? Hey, okay. I'm going to put respect on Darren Waller's name. Because people, people disrespecting my boy Darren Waller, Josh J, Renfro, and now we got Adams. I'm going to be killing fools. I've been smashing cats since 97 with the Raiders, dog, with Tim Brown. <laughs> nice. And nice. now, now I got Adams. It's gonna be like water. <laughs> hey, I'm just, I'm just saying. Hey, I'm fired up, bro. I need to. Calm I see. Water. <laughs> I'm just saying because people over here trying to pay me for five dollars and, and hundred dollars again. Now I got some chumps telling me for a for a case. I'm like, fool. What's up then? You know what I'm saying? Nice. I yeah. like it. Get it, man. Get it. I love it. <laughs> hey, but 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 that draft. I agree though that uh, that Khalil Mack. And Carr, I was really happy that Carr got drafted, especially because he's from Bakersfield, you know, and we, we country boys. And then when we heard that Carr got drafted, 
man, that, that was icing on the cake for us right there, for Raider fans from Bakersfield. It's a small town. Nobody goes there. They just go to put gas and go home. You ain't lying. Hey, man. Hey, Bakersfield is a drive through city, right? Bakersfield well, is a drive through city. Like, like, <laughs> like, like, people don't even go there. They're like, oh, that, that's just the cow town. Because over there, we, we, we tip cows when, like, when there was nothing to do. Middle of the night with, like, ten foods, we were like, hey, let's go tip a cow. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, man, thank you. Thank you for the call, dog. That's great stuff. That's great stuff. Taman, you ever go out there in the, in the mean streets of Pahrump and tip a cow at night? No. <laughs> hey, I know so many people that, that used to do that, though, all the time. I was not one of them, but I know a lot of people that used to do that. But he's right about Bakersfield, and this is no disrespect to the city. It is one where you pump gas. You're on your way from the, from the 559 Valley. You go through the 661 to get to the 702, if you know what I'm saying. You go through Bakersfield to get out here to Vegas. You go through Bakersfield to get back to, uh, to, to Fresno and all that area over there. That's, that's that little drive-through city. That's just a city that you know. You go to get gas. You stop and go to the bathroom. You might get something to eat or drink real quick if you have to but you keep the car rolling that's the uh that's the city that little q when he was a little he was still a little dude and uh my mom was taking him back home we we had him here for a summer summer visit i think he played in some uh some summer league ball or whatever out here and uh she was taking him back for me to to meet up with his mom and that's the city that that he had her stop in and get him some ice cream from mcdonald's even though you know his mama was waiting little q trying to be a hustler trying to be his daddy Oh, she won't care. She won't mind. She'll be okay. Don't worry. It's okay to be late. Don't worry about it. She won't mind. How could you say no to Little Q at that point, right? It's hard to say no to Little Q now, and he ain't so little. But, uh, yeah, that, that's, that's Bakersfield right there, man. It's that, that city that you just stop in, and then you keep it pushing. But uh, thank you, Juan, for that call, man. Uh, we definitely appreciate you. That's some good stuff right there. And uh, it's funny, man, when you said uh, Country Boys in Bakersfield, it makes me think immediately of that, that stupid Mike Florio soundbite where he was questioning Derek Carr and talking about him being uh, you know, fake country accent and not really being the guy that he was. And I, I, I said this on my podcast the other day. Like, I don't, Derek Carr don't need me to defend him. I just thought that that was real foul. I thought that what Florio said about Derek Carr was so foul and, and just out of line. And, you know, I know Florio is, is really – he's carved his niche in the NFL for a very long time. He's a very good investigative-type reporter for the NFL. But to call a man out of his character and call a man out of, his, out of who he is and, ju- and try to, you know, say that his character is fake and false and everything, that, that to me was just out of line. That was one of those that somebody needs to check Florio, but – I'm sure nobody will, so I'm sure that he'll just go about keep saying what he says, but uh, he, he didn't need to say all that. That that wasn't cool, so there you go. Thank you, Juan, for that call. I do appreciate you. Uh, got a text from Sir Whiskey Ray. Q&D, I would definitely ask Zig, with our fit, first pick in the third round, are we going to go best player available or going for need? With our offensive line need to beef up, I'm all for grabbing the best available offensive line. Also, is Zig a beer or a whiskey guy? Ah, there you go. I tend to think that he's, and this is no knowledge, this is just me guessing, I would say that he's probably a whiskey guy, a slow sipper, right? Maybe a little whiskey and water. You know, maybe a little Woodson whiskey with a little water, a little dropper water in it, a couple, couple drops just to say that it's, it's in there so you can hydrate a little bit more. What do you think? I don't know, man. I feel like we would have to ask him and McDaniels that maybe have them answer for each other what their favorite drink is or something since they're supposedly, you know, the best friends, roommates from college. Because I don't, I would go with a sneaky answer that maybe he's just like, yeah, I don't drink. Yeah, it's possible. It's possible. Everyone doesn't have to. 
That's a good question. What do you think uh, about the best player available? You think the Raiders should go offensive line if if uh, if a good one's there at eighty six? Nah, yeah, best player available because if you go with the best offensive lineman available, I would feel better if it's a miss at hey best player available. Then it's a miss because if it's a miss at offensive line, then it would just be said hey they were reaching. I mean, I think that if you miss it in round three, it's a lot easier pill to swallow than it is if you miss in round two, right? Or missing round one. I mean, if you miss in round one, then it's it's highlighted. But in round three, if you miss, I think that you can get away with it, you know, just because it is what it is. But I know that with that being your first pick, obviously everyone's going to pay attention to it. So I don't know. I think that if there's an offensive lineman that they really like there at 86, I would have no problem with them going and getting an offensive lineman that they think could be a dude that could develop at some point into that guy. So, uh, yeah, that, that, would, that would just be me. But, again, uh, if you're going best player available, that might not be the best player available on your draft board. One quick text break. Uh, this is from Ty in the 417. Q and DeMond, I thought it would be fitting to play the Luda li- lyrics. The Luda lyrics, Cadillac grills, Cadillac wheels for an intro or take it back to do or die with the do you want to ride in the backseat of a caddy. Yeah, I like that. I like that. That's all because we are live at the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio. That's where our studio is every single day. So I think Ty in the 417, he's really thinking of something. I do like that Luda song, though. I sing that all the time. Uh, Cadillac grills, Cadillac wheels. Check out the – yeah, man, I love that stuff. Good stuff. Thanks for the text. I do appreciate it. 343 is the time. We're going to come back, close out the show. This Unnecessary Roughness on Radio Nation Radio 920. Welcome back to Unnecessary Roughness. Unnecessary Roughness. Here on Raider Nation Radio 920. I'm going to have to kick you, you know what, today. Here's your boy Q. Got a couple text messages I want to get to real quick. Plus, I wanted you to hear from Mel Kuyper Jr. real quick as well. Only got a few minutes left in the show. Q, what a great day today is. Raiders starting their on-field drive to the postseason. And how about our dubs? That new death lineman lineup is violent. That's from uh, Raider Steve from Reno. Talking about them Warriors. What you know about them Warriors, man? I meant to get some NBA playoff talk in yesterday. Just ran out of time, as we do all the time. I'll tell you what, they look really good right now, man. They're giving Denver the business. They got Denver frustrated. I think when Denver gets back in town, back to Denver, they'll, they'll probably get regrouped a little bit. I don't think the Warriors will sweep them, but uh, they look good. You know, that Jordan Poole ain't nothing to play around with. You know, they got, they got a hell of a lineup, so we'll see what happens. Playoffs have been fun so far. I still think the Phoenix is the best team in the NBA. That's just me. I think we're going to see a, a repeat of what we saw last year in the finals, the Suns and the, the Bucks. I just think the Suns are going to get it done this year. But that's just me. We'll see how it all shakes out. But thank you so much for that text. I do appreciate you. Vinny Bonsignor is coming up in a matter of minutes in the huddle, 4 to 6 p.m. right here on Raider Nation Radio 920. I want you to hear from Mel Kuyper Jr. He put out his uh, post or pre, pre-draft, excuse me, uh, conference call, his second one late, late last week. Had a chance over weekend to break it up and, and uh, get a few of the sound bites from it. It's always good to hear from Mel. And the last couple of years, it's been really a strange kind of draft process with COVID, the pandemic, a lot of Zoom calls. You don't really get that opportunity to meet with these guys one-on-one or, or visit with them uh, at their school or whatever the case may be. So this year it feels like things are getting – Back to normal. So here's Mel Kuyper talking about the draft process since things are a little closer to normal this year. 
Yeah, I think it's going to be a, a little bit more predictable, maybe, um, because of that. It's always some unpredictability to it. We know that. You can, it's, you can never be sure about anything. But I think we, we have a lot of information on the players, and they went through the process, and they went through the Senior Bowl, All-Star Games, Combine, Pro Day. Everything was the normalcy was back uh, for the most part. And other players have been hurt by the, the, the COVID year. Like, look at Derek Stingley Jr., the COVID year, then the injury. And we're talking about Derek Stingley Jr. maybe going at 12 or somewhere there when we thought he could go a lot higher. So overall, the big picture, I think uh, it's settled in, and I think we're going to have a, a, a normal draft because of that. And, and uh, the surprises may still happen. You, know, you always want surprises, but uh, we, we won't have the, the lack of information. Uh, you want the, These teams want to have as much information as possible on these players, and this year they certainly do. Last year I thought they did a great job. A lot of, look at how many guys had uh, you know, outstanding years uh, coming into the league. So sometimes less is more. Uh, sometimes you can over-evaluate. You know, I always say over analysis causes paralysis. It's, it, it, sometimes you can have too much. So uh, yeah, I'd have no problem. It used to be draft in February back in the day. So I think either way, they attacked it very effectively. They did a good job, great job last year, and I think that, that this year it's kind of back to normal. So there's Mel Kuyper right there talking about the draft process, and that's something you've got to think about the last couple of years and not making any excuses for any teams that didn't execute and do a good job in the draft because every team had to deal with it. But the fact is you were dealing with the pandemic. You know, everything wasn't that easy. And honestly, a lot of that had to do with just really trusting what you see on film, you know. And even though I know that the seasons was weird as well, you know, you didn't have uh, fans in the stands for a lot of the times. And so there was, there was a lot of tough evaluations. But at some point, and Trey Wingo said this to us earlier on the show uh, this week, earlier this week, uh, DeMond, where he said that in the later rounds, teams just look for football players, where in the first rounds they try to check too many boxes. Sometimes checking those boxes can, can lead you into trouble. Yeah, and I also what I liked even more what he said is that this class is going to be, this entire draft class is going to be deeper because you had players that took advantage of being able to stay in school because mm-hmm. of those COVID years. So I think that is going to be beneficial to a team like the Raiders where you could say, hey, maybe in another draft this guy, he's here in the fourth, but maybe he could have been an early third, late second pick in a worse draft class. Right, facts. Speaking of the draft, uh, Cassie Soto from the Review Journal, she's been putting out a bunch of videos of what the stage is looking like on the Bellagio Fountain and how it's really coming together. The stage is floating. Uh, if you're checking her out on Twitter, it's at underscore Cassie Soto. Been doing a great job with that. I do believe she'll be on the show on Friday to kind of give us a rundown of exactly uh, what everything is looking like and how it's coming together. And there's so many people that are covering this like a glove. I know Mick Akers is doing a fantastic job. Paloma Villacana, who we have on the show, is doing a, uh, does a very good job with that. Uh, our guy Brian Salmon, Jesse Merrick, all those cats are doing a really good job covering everything as far as the construction goes. Tina Nguyen is doing a great job as well, uh, just documenting every single little uh, addition that goes on with the stage and, and just how everything is starting to look downtown. I'll tell you, Demond, I don't know about you, I haven't been brave enough to go downtown yet because I already know that there's a lot of traffic going on. I know there's a lot of mess down there, so I'm trying to avoid it like I, like there's no tomorrow, but obviously we're going to have to we're going to have to brave the storm at some point because we will be down there on site at the draft on Thursday and on Friday and on Saturday. Very excited about that opportunity. The more, the closer it gets, it's I'm so excited about the draft to, oh, man, we're going to be doing a lot of running around next week. It's, it's Yeah, it's going, it's, it's going to be a real, not say hassle, but it's going to be a lot of effort we got to put in. For sure, for sure, and that's the fun of it because when you look back at it at the end of the day when it's all said and done and it's over and you get to sit back and realize, like, wow, 
that's three days of craziness. And, look, it's going to be way busier than just the three days. I mean, it's really going to hit full throttle on Monday. Raider Nation, it's going to punch you in the mouth on, uh, on, on Monday. It really is. Everything is going to be so action-packed, and there's going to be a lot of events going on around town that we're going to plan on being a part of so we can get some of that expert breakdown on the draft, like Daniel Jeremiah, like Charles Davis, like all those guys from NFL Network, all the cats from ESPN, not Mel Kuyper because he's not going to be here in Vegas. He's staying back in Maryland. He's not vaccinated. But for the most part, 99% of the people that you hear talking about the draft all the time are going to be here in town talking about the draft, and we'll be all over that at a bunch of different events, and I'm sure there's going to be a couple opportunities where I won't even be in the studio. I'll be somewhere uh, posted up doing the show, but at the same time having some of these great analysts on uh, as that all kind of goes with the coverage that we'll bring to you uh, here on Raider Nation Radio 920 for the draft. And, of course, this will be your one-stop shop. If you're trying to listen to the draft on the radio uh, when it's going on Monday – or not Monday, excuse me, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, uh, you can hear the whole draft in its entirety right here on Raider Nation Radio 920. So that's going to be a whole lot of fun. I know we're going to have some things going on at the Raider facility. Uh, we're going to have some pre- and post-type uh, shows following the draft and before the draft. I know JT the Brick, Jason Fitz, Eric Allen, myself – Eddie Pascal, I know we'll all be involved in it in a major way, so we are going to bring it to you. And when I mean bring it, I mean bring it wall to wall, full throttle, dip your head in a tank of gasoline, light that thing on fire, and go. That is what it's going to be, and I cannot wait. It gets no better than this. It is getting here closer and closer and closer. I feel like a kid on Christmas. Speaking about a kid on Christmas, I would have been a kid in Christmas if I had gone to Brazil like Vinny Bonsignor got to see all that amazing water there in uh, Brazil. And I know Vinny will have a great opportunity to tell you about the water, what it was looking like, what it was feeling like, what all that was like being in Brazil with the family as he was on vacation last week. Welcome back, Vinny. You're on deck. Here it is. In, in the huddle, 4 to 6 p.m. Radio Nation Radio 920. We'll talk tomorrow from Finley Cadillac on Radio Nation Radio 920.